So, here we are. Is it, is it a safe thing to say when it rains, it pours? Uh, and if I was a good charismatic preacher, I would literally just jump up here and, you know, do the whole, the enemy is after the church this morning, but we will rise, you know, but I'm not going to do that. That's not my vibe at all. I just, I mean, I don't know what to put this down to. I guess we're meant to go straight into the word. Should we do that this morning? Is that okay? Would you mind taking your seats, everybody? And why don't we just say hello maybe to someone next to us as we do that? Hey? Kids Church, you see, thank you so much, Anthony. Sorry, as we do that, can we celebrate our Kids Church crew as they make their way to their service this morning? Thank you so much. Just the iPad, please. Um, yeah, so just uh, FYI, uh, if you're new to Father's House or, or visiting us this morning for the first time, we have a, a parents' lounge available on my right-hand side over there. That's if you've got, thanks, Mark. If you've got a, a little one from 0 to 12 months, and then if you've got a toddler, one to three years old, there's a little play area for the toddlers on the kids' church section. And then from four and up, we have our very own kids' church program that's running here at Father's House JBA. So Anthony, who was waving me down there for forgetting the kids' church announcement, is our kids' church pastor. And he really is doing an amazing job, um, linked obviously with Father's House Mandela Bay, who you were worshiping with on, on the screen just now. And they've got an entire program with volunteers that runs and crafts that the kids do every Sunday. Uh, so there really is something for families at church. I think that's one of our core values uh, and really am grateful to the team for making that possible. Amen. So uh, just, uh, you know, speaking of Father's House uh, Mandela Bay, as I get my notes ready for this morning, um, that building that you saw there is in North End in PE, and currently it seats about 1,400 people. Am I right, Ryan, somewhere there? And it's pretty much full on Sunday mornings. Um, and then we've sort of been rebuilding our evening service coming out of, out of the uh, pandemic, and that's sort of sitting at 500, I think, 600 somewhere there uh, on a Sunday evening. So church is growing. Amen. It's not all doom and gloom like we see on the news, right? Sometimes we see, ah, the world is this and the church is doing that and everything's dying off. But yeah, in our very own area, we have some amazing uh, evidence of God's goodness at work. And we see how His Spirit is really growing and building His kingdom. And that's something to be excited about. Amen? It's not just us in Bay, It's Father's House across all of our churches. And it's indeed, I guess, the church nationally that is really experiencing something of a, of a fresh move of God together. And I think that's something excited uh, that we can be excited about and join in on. Amen? So, I'm just going to jump straight into the Word. Is that okay? I don't know what's happening with the tech, but it's okay. You'll be able to get home and back into your beds earlier than expected. That is a praise report. But thank you so much for being a storm weather Christians this morning. The fair weather Christians are at home. The storm weather Christians are with us in the building this morning. Sorry, that's just a little... Are you giving yourselves a round of applause? Okay. That's, <laughs> oh, I love it. Stay humble. Um, so this morning, church, we are part of a series on the topic of grace. Now, we spent the last two weeks unpacking what is something that's so fundamental to who we are as a church uh, and, of course, fundamental to the entire gospel message. Uh, and this week is week three, which we're going to uh, use to conclude the series with. Uh, as a reminder, it's been based on the passage of Scripture from Ephesians chapter 2. The, the team will have it up on the screen there for us. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 2 till 10, it says this, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. That's quite a heavy opening statement, Lloyd, but don't worry. There is a very important transition moment in which you previously walked according to the ways of this world. So he's using to describe our spiritual condition before we met Christ. This is what he's talking about. Uh, according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, that's the enemy, the spirit now working in the disobedient, we too all 
previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and our thoughts, and we were by nature children under wrath, as the others were also. There's no one that's higher or better than anyone else, right? Without Christ, we're all spiritually, what he's describing there is spiritual deadness without the Spirit of God living in us. And then this is the good news. He says, but God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in trespasses. You are saved by grace. That's the, that's the key line for the series. Um, he also raised us up with him and seated us with Jesus in the heavens in Christ, so that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace. I mean, if there's one thing that's immeasurable, it's the riches of God's grace. Just think of it described in that way. <laughs> this is the apostle writing to this church, and he's saying the immeasurable riches. You, we will never get to the end of God's grace for us. That's such a powerful thought. Uh, through, through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. And then again, he says, verse 8, For you are saved by grace through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it's God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. And then here's the famous ending, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to relax on the couch. Sorry, that's the, it's the modern living translation. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. There's something to do with what we have received, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. And so that's where we're going to be leading, leaning into this morning, that last part of that Ephesians 2 chapter 10. But just as a very quick recap, We've unpacked, firstly, what God's grace is all about and how to receive it. That was, that was week one. We said that grace, according to Scripture, the one that we've just read, is not something that we could earn. It was something that was provided for us and purchased for us on our behalf by Jesus. And we are the recipients of that grace through faith. We called week one the economics of grace. It was a little, a little play on words to, to show and, and describe how the kingdom of God works so differently to the kingdom of this world. You know, the world says you've got to perform up to a certain standard. You've got to match up. You've got to meet these requirements. And if you don't, you'll be punished, right? The grace of God in the kingdom of God says there's nothing you could do to perform your way into God's affection for you. You receive that affection freely by faith and you're accepted because of what he did on your behalf. Jesus took the punishment that we deserved, right? That's the gospel. That's the gospel of grace. And then in week two, last week, we spoke about how to grow in that grace. We receive it by faith through Christ and what he's done for us. Week two is how do we grow in grace? Second Peter verses three, uh, sorry, chapter three, verse 18 says, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and to the day of eternity. There's this idea of growing in and developing in our maturity and our understanding of this wonderful free gift that we have given, uh, that, that we have been given. And we spoke about one of my favorite characters in the whole of the Bible, Simon Peter. Uh, Simon Peter, one of the first disciples, certainly the most famous. You know, this was the guy that used to act first and think later. You know, I suppose in modern translations, we would say he had no filter. You guys know what I'm talking about? He would just, you know, cut off the security guard's ear. Jesus, I'll walk on the water. I'll go with you to your death. And then he denies him three times, you know. And then Jesus restores him again afterwards. It was, a, it was a wonderful lesson, I guess, to learn for us in terms of how to grow in this grace that we have received. And we said that first, you've got to trust God with something. There's a story of Jesus teaching um, the people on the side of the river. And he says to Simon Peter, do you mind if I jump in your boat? And like that was the thing that, you know, was providing Peter's livelihood. And we said that sometimes you've got to trust Jesus even with your most valuable possession. 
because that's how we grow in grace. We learn to trust, right? Then we've got to let him teach us. Grace has to be our teacher. Jesus sat in his boat and taught the people. Simon Peter would have heard these wonderful lessons. Then we've got to let grace transform us. Simon, you were a fisherman, but I'm going to make you a fisher of men. Simon, you were the reed. You were the coward. I'm going to make you Peter, the courageous, that preached the sermon that started the church as we know it today. So we said that grace can reach the furthest heart. That's the power of God's, of God's word. And today I want to look at not just how to receive it, not just how to grow in it, but how do we release it? How do we release the grace that we have received? That's where we're going to go this morning. And we're going to look at how to, how to move from making good decisions to godly decisions because of God's grace. That's where we're going to be going this morning. And I um, just want to give you a bit of a heads up. This might be one of the more challenging of the weeks in the series, I guess. So I wanted to let you know up front that it might stretch us in some way, but I also think it's going to be one of the most impactful on a relational level when we realize what this grace uh, accomplishes in us and through us. And you know why that is? You know, grace is a wonderful word. It's a great word. It's a great concept when we need to receive it. But it's not such an easy concept when we need to release it. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's a lovely thought to think, God freely forgave me. And, you know, I could repeat that truth all day. I'm saved by grace. But, man, when I have to forgive somebody who has hurt me, it suddenly becomes a far less convenient truth, doesn't it? It costs us something. I think that's why. It costs us something to extend the same favor, the same grace that we have received. And, you know, we don't like to be... Uh, sort of out of credit with somebody in a relationship, if you know what I mean. And so I wondered why that was. Why is it that we find it so easy to receive grace when we need it, but sometimes difficult to release it when someone else needs it from us? Is it just me that struggles with that sometimes? So, okay, cool. So whew, I'm not the only one. Well, I want to look at a famous story in the Bible this morning, friends, and I want to, and I want to declare over us as a community that we can step into being releases of grace as much as we have received it from God because of what grace itself has done in our lives. Grace itself is the fuel for us to embrace being a releaser. Grace itself is the way, is the means by which we go from making good decisions to godly decisions. You know, because I've often thought about this is we will sometimes say in church on a Sunday, you know, I've received God's grace. I'm saved by grace through faith. But what happens when you walk into that boardroom on a Monday morning and you're faced with that employee that's been messing up all week and now you've got to confront them? Now, why is there that disconnect sometimes? And I think sometimes we are so easy to rely on God's efforts for salvation and then somehow we think that every other step from that point forward is based on our own efforts for our sanctification. But we see time and time and time again in Scripture, Paul, the apostle, literally says, it wasn't me that was working it was the grace in me that was working. And so we kind of have this tension that plays out in our, in our spiritual journeys that affects every part of our lives. They're going, God, you've saved me, now what? I know I'm supposed to work towards becoming a better version of me, as the kind of the worldly term would put it. We call it a Christ-like version. But how do I do that? Why do I seem like I'm still missing the mark? And this morning, I really want to shine a little bit of a light on the value of grace, not only for salvation, but for every step in our decision after that. You know, you could say that grace is not, powerful, is not just powerful for salvation. It's effective in sanctification also. 
Once God's got a hold of your heart, he doesn't just leave you there. And we spoke about this last week. God loves you enough to meet you right where you're at, but he loves you too much to leave you there. Even the further his heart God can reach, but in his goodness and in his love, he'll never leave you there. He always wants to bring out of you the Christ-likeness that's there and grow you and shape you and influence you. See, church, grace was not just present the moment that I got saved. Grace is present every moment now that I am saved. The grace of God is always at work in me and it fuels me and causes me to be the releaser of that which I have received. And um, I think this is perhaps why I was saying it, it, it can get the most, uh, it's, it's the most challenging, but it can also be the most powerful in that this, this concept really affects our Monday to Saturday, as I was saying just now, not just Sunday. And if we look at, if we look at, at you know, Gospels like Matthew, chapter 5, 6, and 7, if you're part of the YouVersion uh, Bible app or if you watch Daily Devotions on Father's House, you'll know that we've been in the series recently. This is, this is an entire piece of Scripture where, where Jesus devotes this teaching to principles and practices that govern how we should live. You know, he taught a lot about parables and there's a lot of, obviously, you know, uh, 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 prophetic words and things, but he also got really, really practical. Uh, Jesus says in Matthew uh, 5 verses 5, for example, Blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. It's a principle of humility. Right? He's teaching us how to be humble. This is also the passage in, in the Bible where we read about the Lord's Prayer. Matthew chapter 6, 9 to 13. It's not on the screen and I won't ask you to recite it. Don't worry. That'll be next week. And then if you fail, you'll be shunned from the community. No, some Christians are just weird. Um, that won't happen. But this is, this is where he teaches us how to pray. He says, pray like this. Very practical, right? Do you remember what he says in the Lord's Prayer when it comes to forgiveness? See where we're going. He says in, in verse 16 of chapter 5, making a little bit more practical even still, he says, in the same way, let your light so shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Talking about how believers are the light of the world. And then he gets really direct in Matthew chapter 5, verse 43 and 44. And he says these very, very uncomfortable words. You have heard that it was said, love your enemy and hate, uh, sorry, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies <laughs> and pray for those who, who persecute you. I don't like that verse. It makes me very, very uncomfortable. How on earth am I supposed to love my enemies if not through the grace of God? Do you get what I'm saying? So that you may be children of your Father in heaven, for he causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. It's a, it's a big conversation, but can we see what grace is able to produce in us and why this kind of living is so, so, so important? You know, here's the thing. This is, this is why I said this is a very challenging part of the week, is if not through the church, you and me, how will the rest of the world know what heaven on earth looks like? Unless you and I take these words of Jesus and show people what it means to live this way, how will the kingdom of heaven, Christ's present rule, be evidenced on the earth? And if we do, will that not be the type of world that we would all want to live in? <laughs> Imagine a world where we all loved our enemies. One verse, just one verse, through the grace of God, made practical. Imagine what our family life would look like. Imagine what our careers, what our 
municipalities, what our nation would look like if we just embraced this, this literal teaching of Jesus. And if I could perhaps get a bit more um, evangelical for a moment, coming back to the Lord's Prayer, you know, we know, we know what it says in the Lord's Prayer. Your will be done. Where? On earth as it is in heaven. I wonder if we're brave enough to step into the answer of that prayer. Because guess where that answer is going to come through? You and me. The church. God's chosen vehicle to bring heaven on earth is sitting in this room. And if we're going to you know, devote some time to speak about the grace of God and how we've received it and how we grow in it, then we have to get to this place where we speak about releasing it also. And so we can fulfill these wonderful words of Jesus and step into what this kind of living, this kind of kingdom living looks like. And we're going to see from this passage of scripture this morning that grace is the great motivator when it comes to how we should live. And grace is the differentiator. It's the motivator and it's a differentiator when it comes to a good response and a godly response to things. Because what's a good response, right, to your enemies? Just ignore them, right? Carry on. Most people would say, yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a fair good response. But a godly response is love them. Love them. And this is where we're going to get into the, into the nuts and bolts, I guess, of our grace series this morning. And we're going to go to an amazing passage of Scripture in the Old Testament, which I read again for kind of as a refresher for for. For the first time in a while this past weekend, I was just blown away again at how incredibly um, descriptive the Old Testament is of the New Testament and the life that we've received in Christ. It's from a passage of scripture in 2 Kings chapter 7, and it's got the story of the four leprous men. The four leprous men. Now, just before we put it up there, team, um, there's a there's a there's some um, imagery here between what we've been talking about in this series, a conversation of law and grace. And how we couldn't earn God's affection in our efforts, but it was provided for us through what he did. How we didn't deserve the riches of life. There's imagery here that is, that is keys that shows us how grace is able to, to, to make us releases of it. And we can make godly decisions, not just good decisions. Please have a look out for these little clues as we read this wonderful passage of Scripture together. Second Kings chapter 7. Verses 3 to 5, we're going to start from here. I'm going to pick out a couple of points to leave with us this morning in terms of how to do that. So, now there were four leprous men at the entrance of the gate. And they said to one another, why are we sitting here until we die? If we say we will enter the city, the famine is in the city, and we shall die there. And if we sit here without food, we die also. Now, therefore, come. Let us surrender to the army of the Syrians. These were the guys that caused that famine. They attacked the city, right? And these were the, this was the enemy army. If they keep us alive, we shall live. And if they kill us, we shall only die. So here's the context of this passage of Scripture. There was a severe famine in the city, right, as we read there. And uh, the enemies had sieged the city. They'd taken away all the food. They'd controlled all the food stocks, and so the people inside the city were starving to death. There was some pretty, uh, uh, what's a Christian word for that? Um, pretty gruesome things that were happening in the city up until this point. That's how these, these people were, were, were literally starving, right? And now we have these four leprous men that are outside of the city. Anyone know why they were outside? Leprosy, right? That was a disease that caused you to be unclean. It was, it was, 
you know, you, you weren't allowed to be in contact with people uh, if you were infected with this condition. You were cast out of the city. You were disconnected. You were left outside of the city gates because of the sickness that you carried. You know what leprosy is spoken about in Scripture? It's spoken about as an illustration of sin. Is that not what sin does? Sin keeps us disconnected and separated from God and his city, his church, where his people and his presence reside. We are left out of the family of God before we met Christ. Can you see the connection here? These four leprous men, this is a picture of how all of us were before we came to know Christ. They say, if I sit in this condition, in my sin, I will perish. There's nothing I can do in my own strength to, to, to gain what I need. And even if I go into the city in this condition, I will, I, will, I will perish. There's something in me that is keeping me from experiencing God in his fullness. Does that make you think of the parable of the, of the prodigal son as well in the New Testament? We all remember the story, right? The younger son, he goes and blows his inheritance, spends it on wild living, comes back to the father. Where's the older brother? He's in the house the whole time. But guess where he ends up? He goes out. In the presence of the father, heart is sick. And think about this wonderful story, this, this, this wonderful imagery of, of God's grace at work in these, in these four leprous men's lives. They say to themselves, let's surrender to the unknown. If we sit here, not a good outcome. If we go back into the city, not a good outcome. Let's take a chance. Let's surrender to the unknown. Let's take a risk and see what will happen if we step into the enemy's camp, if we step into this place of the unknown. And I thought about that so much this past week, and I wondered if there's not a, perhaps an invitation for us this morning, by the grace of God, to take a step into the unknown of some kind for us. Maybe we've been sitting in something and we're not sure what the outcome looks like, and God's grace is the invitation that says, why don't you just, why don't you just trust me? Why don't you just step out into the, un, into the unknown this morning? And this is what grace does, friends. Grace takes what is disconnected and it adopts it as its own. That's what grace does. Grace moves us from disconnection to adoption. Let's keep reading. This is, this is why we say this. Look at, look, at, look at what happened. Verse 5. These four leprous men, they were outside of the city. They were disconnected. They rose at twilight to go to the camp of the Syrians. They took a risk. They took a chance. And when they had come to the outskirts of the Syrian camp, to their surprise, no one was there. For the Lord had caused the army of the Syrians to hear the noise of chariots and the noise of horses, the noise of a great army. So they said to one another, look, the king of Israel has hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the, and the kings of the Egyptians to attack us. These enemies fled. They arose and fled. They left the camp intact, their tents, their houses, their donkeys. They fled for their lives. And when the lepers came to the outskirts of the camp, uh, sorry, I'm getting ahead, there, getting ahead of myself there. Oh no, yes. And when the lepers came to the outskirts of the camp, they went into one tent and ate and drank and carried from it silver and gold and clothing and went and hid them. Here's the thing, friends. This is the power of this passage. And this is what grace has done in our lives. Even with the condition of our sin, when all we could see was our deficiency, when we took that small step of believing in Jesus, the grace of God caused our enemy, death, to hear the sound of a mighty army called the resurrection of Jesus. <laughs> Grace took what was deficient, you and me, and made it 
capable. Grace doesn't just take what's disconnected and make it its own. Grace takes what is deficient and makes it capable. Those four leprous men said, we've got nothing. There's nothing else we can do. Yet they came into the enemy's camp and found everything that they need. Friends, maybe this morning we might feel deficient in some way. We might feel unqualified to meet the need, but God has a way of taking our little and providing more than enough. Can you say amen to that this morning? I've often thought about this in the context of our callings. You know, Lord, I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to fulfill this task, this job, this calling that you've placed on my life. Grace will take the deficiency that we feel and make us more than capable. Amen. This is what happened with these lepers. They went into this tent and they found all these treasures and they went and they hid them. Here's what I wanted to say to you on that point. Where you and I were expecting to find death, we found life and life in all its fullness through Christ. Look at what the riches of God's grace has provided for us. From the enemy's tent, Nochal. These four leprous men went into the enemy's tent. And you see, we might go into a place of darkness in one season without the grace of God and find nothing. But in a, in a season with Christ, we go into the place that we, couldn't, we didn't expect to find life and find life and riches and all the things freely provided by us, for us by the Lord Jesus. The condition of our sin intended to produce death, but the grace of the Lord Jesus intended to provide abundance of life. Amen. Grace takes what is lacking, church, and it makes it fruitful. Grace takes what is lacking and it makes it fruitful. And here's, the, here's kind of the part, right? Here's the part of the story where it gets relational. These four leprous men, they had received a miracle. They went into the enemy's tent. They weren't sure if they were going to make it or not. They said, if the enemies are there, they'll kill us. But if they let us live, we'll live. They took a chance. They stepped out into the unknown. And instead of finding death, they found life. They found a miracle. They had food. They had all these tents. All these tents. They had gold. They had all these things. Look at their response, right? Because you remember, we just read that they went and took those things and hid them. Verse 9. Then they said to one another, we are not doing right. This day is a day of good news, and we remain silent. <laughs> We've just received this miracle. There's this famine in the land and we've just received this miracle of the abundance of food from the enemy's camp. We've hit it. We're not doing right. This day is a day of good news. And if we remain silent, and, sorry, and we remain silent, if we wait until morning light, some punishment will come upon us. Now therefore come, let us go and tell the king's household. So they went and called to the gatekeepers of the city and told them saying, we went to the Syrian camp and surprisingly no one was there. Not a human sound. Only horses and donkeys tied and the tents intact. And the gatekeepers called out and they told it to the king's household inside. Friends, here we see the call to release that which we have received to others. We've received the abundance of food here, friends. Man, we've got, we've got some good news. We have received so much grace and some things are too good to be kept quiet. We've got to go to tell the world about what we have received. The grace of God is one of those things that is too good to keep it to yourself. Amen. These four leprous men, these people who were not expected to carry any good news, right? 
these guys were not expected to carry anything good, any grace at all. Remember, they were, they were cast out, right? Makes me think of the disciples. Acts says they were uneducated men, untrained men. Yet in the Lord's hands, by his grace, their church is still growing 2,000 years later. These four leprous men are totally blown away by what they have received until one of them says, look here, guys, we're not doing well by keeping this to ourselves. We have to go back and tell the city where we came from about what we have received. They're starving to death, and we sit here with the salvation. And I guess this is the, this is the point of what I wanted to share with you this morning, church, is that grace moves you from starving to satisfied. Grace moves you from starving to satisfied, and when you and where you're full, when you're full, when you've received, you have to share that with others. Because guess what? There's people still in the city that are spiritually starving. This is the power of the good news, friends. This is what the gospel does. Deliverance has been paid for. The enemy's camp has been defeated. We sing about it often on Sunday. Christ has provided a miracle of salvation, and He's calling you and me, the church with the grace that we have received to go back into the city and tell others about the miracle that we have. Because guess what? There's a spiritual famine happening right now in this nation. And you and I, as the church of God, have the means, we have the miracle, we have the good news at our disposal to go and share that with others. We know that this is only possible in the Lord Jesus, right? We know that it's only possible by His grace. And my encouragement, I guess, to us this morning is we consider how to release that which we have carried, how to make a godly decision versus just a good decision, is let grace itself be the motivation that, need, that leads you to release it to someone else. You know, when you're starving and you receive a meal, you know how much it means to you. You know what I mean? You might be full and someone puts a, I don't know, a ribeye steak in front of you and you go, oh, you know what, it's great, but I'm, I'm full. But not having eaten for three days, that becomes a lifeline. And I'm wondering perhaps if it's, if it's, if it's maybe not the, not the little prompting that the Holy Spirit wants to release to us this morning is, from the story, just remember what it was like before you received Christ. That sense of spiritual hunger, this thing of there's something in me that, that, that is keeping me disconnected. And when the grace of God floods your heart like that, just like it did to those four leprous men, you realize, man, this, this thing, this gift that I have received, I remember what it was like to be starving. I can't keep this to myself. I have to go back and release it to someone else. Friends, this is the day of good news. Amen. This is the day of salvation. We today, sitting in this room, have the gift of salvation in our hearts. And I believe that the Lord is calling us as the church to rise up and step out and share that with the city. By the way, uh, friends, I'm going to close with this uh, with this final thought. I'm mindful of the time. I know it's a little bit earlier uh, this morning, but I'm not going to, you know, do the whole charismatic thing. And well, the Lord gave me an extra 40 minutes to preach, and then everyone's asleep, so it wouldn't help. But do you remember how we how we how we closed that that passage passage of scripture off with? It says that they went and they told the king of the city. They went and they called out to the gatekeepers, and the gatekeepers went and told the king, and an entire city. An entire city that was starving was rescued from destruction, including the king. An entire city was saved because four leprous men, four, you know, unclean, disconnected people took a chance, stepped out into the unknown, trusted God and came back and released that which they had received. It makes you wonder, what would happen to Jay Bay? 
if the church rose up and went to go tell people about the good news that we've received. The king was saved. An entire nation, an entire city of people were preserved because a small group had good news that was too good to keep to themselves. They had to share it. And I don't know about you, but I think, I think I'd like to see a town like, like this set on fire for God's love. We spent an amazing evening on Tuesday here at church during an evening of wholehearted worship. And we had the guys from Wavepoint join us. And it's, it seems like this, this wave of momentum is building, that, that God is calling the church to rise up and, and, and step out in faith and release the grace that we have received. And this, there's, a, there's a definite sense that, can I use the word revival? Is that okay? Is sitting there. And I really do believe that it's, it's always going to be underpinned by a genuine, authentic move of the grace of God. Once we have been starving, we have now received salvation. We're full. Let's step into the third layer and go and share that with the people that we know. Can you say amen to that this morning, church? Would you mind standing with me as I close for us in a word of prayer? Um, I feel a bit alone here without, uh, without Rob and the keys. Um, is there anyone that's got a gift of keys? No, I'm joking. But if you do, I mean, you're welcome to use it. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to take a moment. Is there someone that can play keys there? Oh, keys, car keys. Well, car keys are basically a donation to the house of the Lord. So you can just put those in the offering basket and we can, no, I'm joking. Um, we used to do that in our cell group as well, actually, as a, as a bit of a joke. Whenever this, uh, there was a new person that joined our grow group on a Wednesday, we'd take up an offering as a joke. And the one guy, as part of the thing, he put his car keys in the offering. And this new person was like, yo, what kind of church is this? You guys give your cars away, yo. No, anyway, we're not that kind of church, I promise. Um, but friends, we, we, we committed to praying for uh, salvation throughout this series. But I'm kind of feeling like this morning, we want to we wanna just take a moment and pray into that last step. That last step of, God, I've received it. I'm growing in it. Help me release it. And I suppose that's a prayer for anyone and everyone because no matter if you've been saved for one minute or a hundred years, you have a call on your life to release that which you've received. It's not reserved for one guy for half an hour on a Sunday. It's up to each of us in our own unique ways using the spiritual gifts that we've been given to go and, and pull our efforts, to go and add our bit. That's how we're going to see this town set on fire for God and this revival that we're talking about break out. And I want to take a moment and just pray for each of us to step into that with confidence this morning. So Father, thank you so, so much for the grace that we have received through faith in you. Jesus, you, you paid it all. You gave us that which we didn't deserve. We stepped into the enemy's camp thinking, you know, we might find death, yet we found life and life in all its fullness. That grave, Father, looked like the end of a story, but we know on the third day it was the beginning of the resurrection of Jesus, that life that's now at work in our lives. And Father, I pray that for every person here this morning, they would receive the call to be a carrier of the grace that they have received. Father, it is such a precious thing, and it's not based on our own efforts, Father. Your grace works in us to make this possible. And Holy Spirit, would you just gently reveal, gently prompt us this week to send that text message to someone, to pray that prayer for someone, to offer that, whatever it is, gift or donation to someone, or Father, whatever it might be, please would you lead us as we release 
this wonderful gift of salvation that we have received. Father, and I thank you for the collective efforts of your bride, your church, all telling the story of the glory of your name. Jesus, we want not only the city, but this nation to be under your name. And so we pray that this would become possible in your name, in our lifetime, and we'll be sure to give you the glory as a result. And in your wonderful name we pray, and Father's house said, amen. Church, can we give God just a shout of praise and worship this morning? Thank you so much um, for your time. I realize that things looked very different this morning. God maybe you've even challenged us on that today, right? But I thank you so much for just for being here. I, I remembered now uh, someone just messaged me that I didn't speak about the offering this, uh, this morning. There, as you know, there are always the opportunity, there's always the opportunity to, uh, to do that with the envelopes that are on your seats. Please forgive me. There was a lot going on there, as you can see. Otherwise, um, we're going to have coffee available at the coffee shop. There'll be personal prayer up front. Grow groups are starting again this Wednesday evening, 6.30 here at Father's House. So you're welcome to join us. Otherwise, enjoy the rest of the week. Don't cry too hard for the books last night. I think there's still a quarterfinal waiting for us uh, soon. So thank you so much, everybody, and enjoy the rest of your week, and we'll see you on Sunday. God bless.